Welcome back to Silent Sales Machine Radio. Hopefully, you've already checked out part one of this two-part episode. If you haven't done that yet and heard the beginning of my conversation with Rabbi Daniel Lappin, you really need to go check out part one for this second part to make sense. But if you've already heard part one, welcome back. We're going to jump right back in where we left off. I'm excited to dive into several more interesting topics with Mr. Lappin today. And hopefully you're loving this episode so far. And let me just put in a little reminder. Be sure to go check the show notes at silentgym.com because we mentioned a lot of great resources in this episode. So make a note, silentgym.com after this episode is over. All the great resources are there and you can check out Mr. Lappin's uh, fantastic materials, the discount that he offers. That's all in the show notes. Okay, so enjoy the rest of my conversation and discussion with Rabbi Daniel Lappin. According to ancient Hebrew biblical wisdom, there's only three things we need to teach our kids as parents. And if we get those three right, in my words, this is me speaking now from my vantage point, they're virtually unstoppable. And do you mind diving into those three things for us for a moment? Not to put you on the spot. I mean, I could tell you what I remember. Maybe I'm not getting them right. Yeah, please let me hear how you see it and I'll, I'll chime in. I will be the role of Rabbi Lappin for a moment. Let's see how I do. Yeah. Okay. Hey, this is the way I've expressed it to friends based on I'm the, scared. Uh, I'm scared you're going to do better than me. That, that's what's worrying me. No, that, oh, nothing I, would make me happier. Oh, that's great. Uh, okay. So here's how I phrased it. The three things. Okay. There's a horizontal and a vertical relationship. Those are two. The horizontal relationship is how we interact with other adults and other people and understanding that the difference between a friend and an acquaintance and a parent and a child and a spouse and how we'll have a different relationship with literally everyone we'll ever meet in life and being able to navigate those effectively. To be able to look an adult in the eye and shake their hand, for example, I'll take that any day over a high SAT score in a 17-year-old, right? So you've got those types of conversations, our horizontal relationships. Now you've got your vertical relationships, which is actually the most important one, and that is our walk with God, our spiritual walk, right? That's a key component. So you get those two right, you're more than halfway there. And the third is numbers and business specifically. How are you going to serve your fellow man in such a way that the numbers make sense and you grow a successful business? Even if you're an employee, you need to have a business owner mentality about that position and that sets you up for success in life. How's that? Uh, It's excellent. It's excellent, and uh, and perhaps the the only thing that uh, you omitted is that, um, and it's it's something you do so effectively yourself in your organization uh, that that I'm I'm shocked you omitted it. Maybe you think it's so natural that it doesn't need mentioning, but it does, because so many of us make the mistake of assuming that. Um, the more we do ourselves, the better it is because we don't have to pay anyone else. We don't have to supervise anyone else. And we don't have to have a relationship with anybody else. And and yet, again, not to dive too deeply into the Bible, but it's such a, a wonderful source of this piece of information, um, which is that, you know, when Jacob dies at the end of Genesis, the last thing he does is bless all his sons. And uh, if it was me writing the book, 
I'd have it like this. I'd say Jacob called all his sons together and said, boys, I've lived for 147 years. For the majority of those years, you've been around. And I don't mind telling you that from time to time, you've all been pretty much a pain in the rear end. <laughs> but nonetheless, love it. I, I really want that God should bless you. Take care of each other. I'm gone. Goodbye. Yeah, very and short. Very short and sweet. Done, yes. right. Yeah, I could have done it in one verse. Uh, in Genesis, it takes it takes like a chapter, you know, 30 verses. And just in case you think that's exceptional, hundreds of years later, when Moses dies at the end of Deuteronomy, again, you know, I would have written it this way. Moses gathers the children of Israel together and he says, yells to them all from the top of the mountain. He says, hope you can all hear me. I want you to know I've lived 120 years. The last 40 years have been dragging your sorry rear ends through this desert. <laughs> And it. you've all been gigantic pains in that rear end. They were. It's a good story. I'm going home to God. <laughs> God bless you. Be nice to Joshua. I'm out of here. Right. It, it could have been very simply said. Right. But again, you know, he does the same thing Jacob did. Reuben, this, Le Levi, Judah, Simon, each and every one of you, one after the other, the whole thing. Why? Because when you specialize, you create interdependence. Ooh, love it. And that's what God wants us to do. You know, the first time this shows up in Western civilization is Adam Smith, who published his uh, defining book on economics called An Inquiry into the Nature of the Wealth, Wealth of, Nations. of Nations. Yes, sir. In uh, 1776 was when he published it. And um, shortly after that, in the, uh, in the 1800s, uh, there was a guy called uh, Samuel Colt living in Connecticut making revolvers. And uh, just in case anybody out there wants to know what I'd like for a birthday present, it would be a Colt Python with a six-inch barrel. Just I'm just saying. Noted. But, um, <laughs> but um, with Samuel Colt making revolvers, you just got to think for a moment how he was making them. You know, he had six guys sitting around a table. And uh, each guy would reach into um, the store shelves for a piece of steel and he'd take a, a piece of bar and he'd walk it over to the drill press and he'd drill out a barrel. And then he'd walk and take a, a fatter piece of bar and he'd uh, put it on the lathe and turn out um, the revolving chamber. And then he'd make a hammer and he'd make the handle. And, you know, at the end of a day and a half, he'd finish a revolver and he'd put it in a basket in the middle. And then Samuel Colt periodically would come by, empty the revolvers out of the basket and take them to the market and sell them. And then he'd distribute the revenue. So was all his six workers make money. And at the end of the day, they go home. Fine. That's how it worked for a very long time. And after reading The Wealth of Nations, um, Samuel Colt gets this great idea. And the people don't like it because nobody likes change. And he says to the first guy, you know what? You are only going to make uh, barrels. You, you're only going to make revolvers. You're going to make handles. You're going to make hammers. You're going to make triggers. And you, you know what you're going to be doing? You're going to assemble. Everybody, you all are going to do nothing but make barrels. And when you finish, you put them in a barrel box. You, the sixth guy, when you uh, finished, you grab one of each thing out of each of those boxes labeled, put them all together and stick it in the – all of a sudden, they find out that they're making two, three times as many revolvers a week as they used to. Yes, specialization, exactly. But that's not the only benefit. But we ought to ask ourselves, obviously, on, on uh, some sort of deep spiritual level – I mean, we understand how this works, right? 
people get better and better and better if they specialize at night. We, we, we get that. Obvious. But still, why is there this blessing? And the answer can best be found out by what happens if one of the guys around the table doesn't show up for work in the first model. First model, you know, nobody notices. I mean, basically, you know, old Tom hasn't shown up for work. Fine. So there's more lunch for us. You know, who cares? We just each con- – don't forget, we're each paid on piecework. The number of revolvers I make, that's why I sign my name at the bottom of the revolver. Nobody cares. But in the second case, when Tom doesn't show up for work, in this model, nobody is signing their name on the revolver because every revolver can only happen through each of our cooperation. Now, when Tom doesn't show up, we all jump and run over to his farm. We want to know, is he okay? Is he sick? Does he need help? We can't work without him. We need him. And that kind of mutual interdependence is exactly what our creator wants from us. And so when I learn that doing my own books or my own taxes, you know, or, uh, or washing my own car or, or all of these things is not the best use of my time, that I do far better by doing what I best do, by making my time dedicated to its highest and best purpose, and then hiring and paying, yes, paying, reaching into my pocket and taking money out and giving it to somebody else, that is what really works best. And that is what makes blessings rain down upon people. This is how economies explode too. Specialization. You know, I love it. And I, I will from now on add that to my list. You must specialize. You must find that thing. And it's not... And feel comfortable not doing everything yourself. Yes. And here's the balance. I actually just recorded a podcast episode, Rabbi Lappin, with my closest business partner. Between between my two partners and I, we've got a healthy eight-figure business that we run online. I mean, just it's never been better. It's beautiful. But one, part of our core message is... You can have multiple income streams using the internet. Some people think that means I've got to get good at a bunch of different things. No, we each specialize. I am like my business card right now. My title right now is chief momentum officer. That's kind of my role in this whole thing, expanding the message, expanding the audience. That's great. I'm the face. I'm the communicator. Okay. Now I've got my partner, Brett over here, who I recorded this podcast episode with, and we talked about specialization leads to multiple income streams. He knows how to sell widgets online creatively. He was one of our most successful students ever. He's risen up in the ranks. He's become a trusted partner. He's got a massive team. Great story. For those of you who haven't listened to the episodes where Brett was my guest, go back and listen. Episode two is phenomenal. But so he is the, to borrow the CES acronym that we already talked about, that's the name of our our get-togethers, our events, the C is consult, the E is expand, and the S is sell, okay? I love the number three, which shows up in the Bible all the time, but I'm the E, expanding your audience. He's the S, selling stuff. Now I've got my coaching partner who does the consulting and the coaching. We have a client or someone who wants to pay us to be coached. He specializes in that. He's worked for some of the biggest names in in the world in business coaching. He knows that part of the business. He's the C, I'm the E. Brett is the S, and these three produce income for all three of us, but we each get to specialize. It's a beautiful model that I believe, it felt well before I understood these concepts from you, I believe it was a gift from God that he gave me this thought process, but it all starts with specialization. To put an explanation point, an explanation point on what you just said, specialization is the key. I'm not good at a hundred things. Was it hard for you to, to when you originally wrapped yourself around this concept? 
Was it was it a hard thing for you to deal with, or did it come naturally to you, Jim? Well, I saw the three complementing each other in such a strong way that I stepped into it. You know, one of my favorite books, and I think this will resonate with you as well, is and there's scripture on this as well. You know, wealth gained hastily vanishes just as quickly. Don't you don't mm. go after the fast money; you go after the slow and steady. So as I slowly and steadily, like the tortoise and the hare, the famous children's book. As I slowly and steadily stepped my way into getting good at selling stuff online, good enough to attract the attention of other potential partners who noticed my success and partner yeah. with them, and they, they had different skill sets than me. And so I started to say, okay, you specialize in that. I'll specialize in this, and let's work together. And as we did that, it was a very natural progression. I didn't instantly set out to have skills in you know, I've, I've got income from arguably my accountants, you know, is like, how are you generating all these different checks from all these different places, Jim? Like, oh, it's, I'm not doing it. That's just my share of the partnership arrangement with somebody who's really, really good right. at what we right. do together. That's my 10% of what yeah. they're doing. They're, they're the one that's really good, not me. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's I right. got good at partnerships and expanding my audience of influence. And as I've shared many times with this audience already, that list of people who I could call at three o'clock in the morning and they would answer the phone and gladly be there to help me. That's how I kind of put my phraseology on a, a concept that you've shared. That's a big list now. So I yes. partner with those people in mutually beneficial ways. It's been a very natural progression. And I have a lot of people now who value my advice as I continue down this path and get better at what I do. You know, this podcast is a perfect example of all the things I could be doing with my time this afternoon. And thank sure. you again. Can I just point out that we're recording this in the middle of Hanukkah? Thank you, sir. I mean, that is a seriously significant occasion for you and your family. And here we are right in the middle of it. I know you've got family on the way today as we speak. What an honor. But how could I be using my time today most wisely? This is exactly the specialization that I'm called to, that is expanding my audience, getting my yeah. message out there in an effective way. So does that answer your question? And feel free to go in any direction you want from that. Yeah, no, no, exactly. Because uh, there are several ways. I mean, we can learn from experience. It's hard. Not, not all of us do. And sometimes experience can be a painful way of learning. Other times we learn from a teacher, which is certainly uh, the, the, the least painful and very often the quickest and most beneficial. And sometimes we learn just from sheer necessity where, uh, you know, we realize that what we're doing isn't working. And, and really, for many people, that is the one that is, is hardest to accept. To be able to say to yourself, look, tomorrow is going to be exactly like today if all I do today is what I did yesterday. Because change is difficult. Habits are tremendously challenging to shatter. And really, that's exactly what we have to do. And there, there's so many areas. Specialization is just one of those areas where, you know, you, it takes a lot of gumption to be able to look and say, you know, I am actually using too much of my time running around here and running around there and, and going to mail off the package at the post office and then taking the uh, the car to be serviced and and then you realize, you know, how little of your time is actually going to productivity. And then you wonder why your revenue stream is not what it ought to be. This is very difficult. But when spiritual strength is gained, sometimes it's called character strength, uh, you, you gain the ability to confront and recognize and then to change a habit and to start doing things differently from the way we were doing them. And that opens the doorway. I love it. 
to abandon the old habit first and then embrace the new, right? Uh, as I've learned from Jewish wisdom. Yeah, right, exactly. Uh, maybe we could... I struggle with which way to go because I kind of want to wrap this up for the listener's sake. And I, I know we're going to do this again at some point, but could we talk about something very specific to a lot of listeners to this show that uh, they find themselves struggling with? And that is the virtue or the ethic of the business model that many of them find themselves in. And, and it's simply explained as, you know, some of us call it arbitrage, but it's where we, we take something off a retail shelf. Maybe we go buy the last 20 closeout items at a Walmart that are marked down to $10. And just merely by moving them from that location onto a different location on the internet, yes. they're worth multiple times more. And right. some people say, well, you haven't actually added any value. That's an unethical, unvirtuous business model. I argue the opposite. And I actually record an entire show on this topic. But I want to hear from a rabbi himself. And I, I didn't prepare you any more than putting this as a topic we might address. So I've never actually heard you on this topic, but I think I know what you're going to say. I'd love to hear you tackle that one. I will, but why don't you uh, tackle it first, and, and then I'll <laughs> I'll pick it up from there. <laughs> I will put on my rabbi. Uh, I'll put yeah. on my rabbi robe once more for you, my yeah, friend. Yeah, no, it's, it's real. It's real fun for me to uh, see if I see. We're you know we're drawing from the same source, and so absolutely. Uh, see if I've been paying attention. Okay, let, love to hear how you tackle it. It's a great question. And I, uh, I was very excited to see it. So let's let's write it. Awesome. That's great. Okay, let's do this. Okay, so from my vantage point, and if I recall biblical truth correctly, there are two ways to be effective in business, and that involves either using your hands or your feet. And I don't remember the the Hebrew word. I don't read or speak Hebrew, but no, I, I know people don't. The, the word actually is is kesef, and uh, it's the Hebrew word, one of the Hebrew words for money. And it's it's not an accident, by the way. Just on on passant passing along, you know, they they say that Inuit languages that the Eskimos speak have about twenty words for snow. Yes. Whereas, you know, I know one word for snow. My skiing friends most likely can distinguish between three or four kinds of snow. Uh, when when something is important to you, you understand the nuances. Uh, there are many words in Hebrew for money. And I'm proud of that. That's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. And so one of the words for money is the the word – we have one word for the sole of the foot and the palm of the hands. Now, uh, what's common to the sole of the foot and the palm of the hands? That the back of the hand is useful only for punching or hitting. The palm of the hand is where creativity takes place. That's why, that's why our fingers only bend inwards. Beautiful, yes. Uh, our, the bottom of our feet are where the action is. That's where we walk. That's where we move. The top of the foot is useful only to extreme boxing and fighting specialists. But our ability to create and our ability to walk is the word that makes up the core of the word for money. And so you said it exactly right. I remember as a, as a young boy once standing um, next to on the banks of the River Rhine in uh, Europe, in Germany. And uh, my father said, look. And I said, at what? He said, can't you see? And I'm looking and, the, you know, the River Rhine is a very commercial river and there are barges going up and down it. And then all and he was getting more and more frustrated with me. Look, look, he said. And obviously, 
he, there was a time factor to it. He was getting so agitated, so I knew it must be something that was moving. Therefore, the only thing moving were barges. And then all of a sudden, it got me. There was one barge filled to the brim with coal moving upstream. And there was another barge, almost exactly the same size, filled with exactly the same kind of coal moving downstream. <laughs> right. Right. Why didn't they just stay where they were? With Why does each question, one right? just stay where he is? <laughs> yes, exactly. And that was uh, one of my early ancient Jewish wisdom lessons on economics, which is that um, there is value in, in moving things. Uh, as anybody who uh, thinks about shipping an iceberg from uh, the North Atlantic, where it is nothing but a big shipping hazard, and dragging that iceberg with a tug all the way down to Abu Dhabi on the Persian Gulf, you will see that you have converted nothing but a worthless hazard, yeah. <laughs> hazard into something that has real value. Monetary value, the, yes. You yes. drag that iceberg into an enormous dry dock and then let it melt in the desert sun, and uh, you got plenty valuable water. So, yeah, transport and moving something. Being aware of the presence. In other words, let's think about an example. Let's say you want to buy a printer. This is one of the ways in which web uh, stores really provide value because they provide a clearinghouse of information. For me to go and research what the best printer to get or the best car to get, I don't have the time for that because once again, I'm using my time badly. I don't, for me to start paging through uh, the car magazines, I may happen to enjoy reading them anyways, but, but for most people who want to make a good purchase, you would do so much better paying somebody to give absolutely solid, reliable advice. And that, in a way, we're able to do that on the web today because uh, there are so many reviews. Now you've got to learn how to read them and, and understand what they mean. But uh, in all these areas, a, a value is brought simply by bringing something to my attention, to my front door. And so if located on some outer periphery of the internet that I'd never find – Somebody, if you like, doesn't physically move anything, but moves it spiritually, moves it digitally uh, into a place where I'll see it along with the information as to why it'll be useful for me. That is value added, immense value added. Of course it is. Is, is that addressing what we're talking about? Yes, it absolutely is. It, it, yeah. And I'm just envisioning literally thousands of new business ideas that we haven't even thought of yet. The, the internet is like a Wild West new frontier to me. It's like the Wild West without the risks of dysentery. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? right. And, it, and it's so the, much out there for us to discover, just simply transporting digital bits. I mean, I've, I've got framed right next to me. I'm, I'm actually looking at it now, Rabbi Lappin, the first digital product I ever sold where somebody paid money, money that I could spend to buy dinner for my family for a digitally delivered product. And they loved it. They would have paid more. And I've done that tens, hundreds of thousands of times since then. It's mm -hmm. an incredible age. I say all the time, we live in the best time in human history to be an entrepreneur. I fully believe that uh, because of all the opportunity that lays out in front of us, especially us in uh, Western culture the, with the Judeo-Christian ethics surrounding us. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more, Jim, and I'll, I'll tell you why. If you think back, Every single technological advance 
that improved the ability of human beings to communicate with one another yes, sir. resulted in a massive um, economic growth epoch. Um, steamships, right? Steamships in the 1800s. If you take a look at the gross domestic product of every country that surrounds the Atlantic Ocean and you suddenly see it meteorically climbing and you say to yourself, wow, what caused that? And then you take a careful look and you say, oh, oh, I get it. There was steamships. Steamships, right. And then 50 years later, it happens again. Guess what? Railroads. And then it happens again. Guess what? Telegraph. Yes, sir. In 50 years. Every 50 years, right? It's, it's every 50 years. It's wild what happens in 1844. It's more profound than the internet was in our day. For its day, it was amazing. And the incredible potential for creating wealth and for serving people, incredible. And then came the telephone and radio and television. And then ultimately in 2000, uh, the internet. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. And uh, it's all based on find it's an easier way to find out what other people need me to do and then serve them well and then serve them oh, that's all what that's a all. day and age we get to live in uh, it's, it, i think we've given people plenty of reasons to be optimistic as well to borrow a theme from earlier in our call um, hopefully you find yourself very encouraged by this call listener i just I love doing this for you, and hopefully you understand a little bit more about why I just love this guy and everything he puts out there I'm reading and devouring. I find myself sometimes wandering over to YouTube and just watching a video of you from six years ago and you presented at some big church. You're in different Christian churches. Now, you know, I'm a Christian. You're an Orthodox Jew, uh, but you find yourself in Christian churches all the time because it's the same book. It's the Bible. And those biblical truths, you know, most Christians don't speak Hebrew. It, I found it a very them, interesting. Yeah, A lot of them are embedded in the Hebrew text. There's no question about it. Yeah. And you've got and, to dig into the Hebrew to pull it out. I was, uh, do you want to take three minutes on an example or, or not, Jim? You oh, need the way. It, well, let me make one quick point and then please do. Yes, sir. Because if yeah. we have to split this into two episodes, we might do that. So I'm not in a hurry. But it was interesting to me, and I believe it was you that shared this on one of your podcast episodes, that there was actually serious debate at the founding of the United States. There was serious debate as to what language are we going to speak, and it was actually quite a debate, and Hebrew almost became the national language, and I think we maybe, arguably, we would have been better off because of all the words we use that just don't exist in Hebrew that have created nonsensical concepts in our culture that we would have otherwise avoided. But I found that very interesting, how close we came to being a Hebrew-speaking nation. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Uh, and I think the founders were right. They rejected it uh, in Philadelphia, and the reason they said makes a lot of sense, and they said it's not good for a nation uh, not to be able to read its founding documents. And so founding <laughs> documents were in English, you know, give it 50 to 100 years of a Hebrew speaking, you know, of everyone speaking Hebrew, people won't be able to read English anymore. Not a good idea. And I think they were right. Oh, I, I, you've made me enjoy and appreciate history more than I ever imagined I would. But what was the example you were going to use of, of something that doesn't well, translate well? Yeah, right, exactly. You know, just just real quickly, and uh, people who are interested can go and uh, look at it themselves. People who are not can ignore it. But that is that, um, you know, in chapter 2 of, of Genesis, it says God put Adam in the Garden of Eden to work it, right? Meaning to engage in agricultural work, right? That's, that's pretty clear. 
Yes. And then uh, in Exodus chapter 20, 10 commandments, fourth commandment, six days you shall do all your work. Work, yes. Right. Same word in English. Same word in English. So there we've got, uh, and I just store those two examples in memory for the moment while we go and look at another two examples. Now we go over to um, Exodus and um, in uh, uh, several times in the first 10 chapters of Exodus, Moses says, and God says to Pharaoh, let my people go so that they may worship me in the desert or they may serve me in the desert. Sometimes it says, okay, fine. And then uh, how about in um, the book of Joshua, chapter 24, verse 15, as for me and my family, we shall worship the Lord. So I've given you four cases, and I want to divide them into two baskets. Basket one is uh, God put Adam in the Garden of Eden to work it. Six days shall you do your work, and the seventh you shall rest. That's one basket. The other basket is, let my people go so that they may worship me or serve me in the desert. And as for me and my family, we shall worship or serve the Lord. Now, there's no way that a non-Hebrew speaker could possibly know that in all those four cases, the word is exactly the same. Wow. English makes them two separate words. Completely different concepts. First two examples, your daily work. Last two examples, worshiping God. Two separate ideas. In Hebrew, they're not. And that's an incredible breakthrough. When you understand that doing your daily work is part of worshiping the Lord, that's part of what God wants from us. Wow. That changes how I get up every morning. It makes what I do sacramental. It's sacred. Going to the office is sacred because you are serving God's other children. And um, it's absolutely crucial. It's uh, It changes everything when you can really wrap yourself around it. And, and that's why these things take longer to actually absorb than they take to, to talk about, which is why to sort of get back to my income abundance set and reminding people that there's a 20% discount for listeners to this podcast. You just type in the word Cochram and uh, get your 20% discount on something called the income abundance set, which is uh, my two books, uh, Thou Shall Prosper and, um, and Business Secrets business from secrets. the Bible. And then also uh, three hours of audio programming that uh, you need to hear repeatedly. So anyway, all of that is uh, you know, part of, of what we talk about in terms of having to wrap yourself around that, having to sort of really get into that, you know, get, and be able to really, in other words, moving things from your brain to your heart. It's so important. Yes, that short little distance that can be so hard. Yes to navigate. Yeah. But yeah, in the yeah. show notes for today's episode, if you go to silentgym.com, we'll have all the details on Rabbi Lappin's generous offer. Thank you, sir, for that. And I definitely want to encourage people at a minimum to subscribe to your podcast and to check out. You've got several episodes now. I've literally heard all of them and have my favorites. And it's been very influential. I think what the listener will discover if they've been listening to me for a while and, and exploring some of these concepts is It'll start to sound like it's being echoed using, uh, I love your vocabulary. You've pulled some beautiful words out in some of the descriptions that you make of these. And I've, I've poorly told some of the same stories that you tell, but the, I think the sure. list will start to recognize some themes here. And, you know, you don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to be a uh, Orthodox Jew. I mean, that's irrelevant. This works just like gravity. You know, there are certain laws and uh, I won't be able to do this justice, but you understand, Rabbi Lappin, how the world really works, yeah. and you say that all the time because you've dug it into the biblical 
timeless truths and apply them to your business. And regardless of your worldview, those truths are right there for you to use, just as are the laws of physics to use if you're an engineer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's timeless, and they're predictably uh, beneficial to those who embrace them. So um, this wasn't a show trying to convince anybody to convert to anything today. This was a no, show about how the world really works. And even if you're an internet marketer, internet business person, hopefully we've pulled some great lessons here today that that you can apply. But are there any parting parting thoughts? Anything that anything else we could do? You know, one thing I do want to to finish on. I'm curious as a listener and as a fan of Rabbi Lappin's uh, show and content. I know you're working on a new book. What can you tell us as a little teaser that people can get excited about that concept? And how close are you to finishing that up? Oh, oh, you just ruined it. <laughs> I'd love to tell you about it, but when you ask when it'll be ready, you sound like my publisher. Oh, <laughs> sorry. And right in the middle of Hanukkah, too. You're supposed to be having fun and relaxing, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, so I refuse to answer the when it'll be ready. Uh, I'm working as hard as I can and quickly as I can. As a matter of fact, I'm actually turning down uh, speaking engagements for the next three months in the hope of just trying to uh, get it done. I've done a lot of teaching on male-female relationships. And in fact, uh, you and I have, have chatted about this in the past that I say that um, that the only, you know, is the role of a parent you know, ultimately, all you really need to teach your children is male-female relationships, money, and God. Now, all of that's a whole lot harder to do than it is to say, but you can really forget about the ballet lessons. All you really need to do is teach those things. And so I've done uh, a lot of work on uh, male-female relationships. I've done a lot of work on money. What I've never done, because it's so I'll be honest, it's it's politically incorrect. Uh, the stuff is very provocative. You know, when I ask, why is it that marriages where the woman dramatically out-earns the man are doomed marriages, that they very, very few of them survive, that makes people very unhappy. And I understand it makes people unhappy because for many people, they are, uh, are in that situation. There are exceptions where uh, a woman is helping her husband through uh, school and when he's done, he's going to step into the primary role. Uh, though, you know, there, there are exceptions. But generally speaking, these, you know, money and marriage intersect all the time. And I've, I've not written this book before simply because I haven't felt sufficiently strongly situated to be able to withstand the storm of controversy that it'll generate. <laughs> uh, I mean, just as you're saying it, I'm just envisioning. But, you know, I, I'm living proof of one of those concepts. Early on, I've never shared this with you, Rabbi Lappin, after we adopted our oldest son, uh, we adopted him from Russia. That was our first child. And when we got him home, um, the agreement had been between my wife and I, she, she graduated top of her class. I mean, she's, she's way smarter than I am, dude. And, you know, in any metric you want to use, she's just sharp. Uh, she graduated top of her class, had her degree, had this great corporate gig, and we decided we're not going to send our kid to daycare. So one of us is going to stay home. So I, it was going to be me. Yeah, and I was going right? to play around. Yeah, makes, makes sense. sense. Total makes, I mean, you know, everything in our culture says, yeah, do it. And we're like, yeah, why wouldn't we? You know, you know equality rules the day. So, you know, it's no different for her to be out working and me to be at home. But we started experiencing very early on just, you know, and I was starting to play around on the internet and I was starting to do some things. I wasn't generating any serious income because I had a kid to take care of. And I, that was a serious commitment having an infant for the first time. And um, so I wasn't really doing much. 
So she would wake up in the morning miserable that she's the one that had to go off to work and I got to sleep in until the baby was up. And she would be jealous at the end of the day that I got, I was the one that got to spend the whole day with the kid. And I was jealous that she's the one that got to go out and earn a living, which I just thought, man, that just feels like it would be so rewarding to be the one, you know, taking care of that part of our family's needs. You know, I'm just talking from personal experience. And it wasn't very long at all till she came to me and I didn't prompt this at all. I wasn't, I was doing nothing but encouraging her, but she came to me and said, you know what? This just isn't right. I want to be home with our son. I need to be here and you need to be out there doing what I'm doing. And it just made sense to both of us instantly, instantly. It made sense. Mm. I'm like, let's. No, I never, I never knew that. Yeah. And and so we, we swapped roles and it just felt so right. And now I'm not saying, you know, that that's what everybody has to do. No, no, no. Um, There are exceptions. There's There's exceptions, of course. Uh, But, you know, for our family, it held very, very true. And now that I'm seeing the, you know, the spiritual side of that, there was something very powerful that happens inside of a man when he's able. And that's why one of the themes, one of the core messages, and I have to be careful when I say this because it can be misinterpreted, but I love bringing dads home. If I can bring a dad home from the corporate where he can perform in a provider role, and at the same time, be under the same roof as his kids, there's magic that happens in that. And yes, it's powerful when it's a grandma or a mom or an aunt or someone who doesn't have any kids or, you know, all those, it's, it's powerful. I love all entrepreneurs, but as a dad, oh, I relate to that feeling of getting up under the same roof where my kids are sleeping and still in bed and I get up early and I have my routine and I'm providing right there in an environment where they can step in anytime. As a man, I relate to that. It's different for a female. I'm not a female. We're very different creatures. I don't know what it feels like for a mom to provide those types of things. I know what it feels like as a man, and there's nothing more rewarding I can imagine. And that's part of what's so controversial in this book is the the linking of finances to masculinity on a man. Uh, one of the, the famous studies that I cite is a study where various groups of men in various test groups are asked to rate the attractiveness of photographs of women. And the women are not only listed by photograph, by name, but also by profession. And routinely, way beyond all questions of statistical correlation, men pick the the women who have lower earning occupations. As being more attractive. Correct. Wow. And then, then what they do is they switch the occupations with the women. So it's all the women who were listed as uh, hedge fund managers and uh, uh, law firm partners are now listed as uh, preschool teachers and nurses. And not surprisingly, the, the men's preferences shift. In other words, the, the most awful feeling for a man is impotence. One of the most powerful feelings for men is uh, is virility and potency. And uh, virility and potency are enormously impacted by a woman's need for him in every possible way, sexually and economically. And, you know, and look, we're, we're, this stuff is, as you can tell, this is contra- controversial, it's provocative, but I present it in ways that is going to be infuriating to people because it's so compelling and so persuasive. <laughs> so in spite of themselves, people who are going to hate the conclusion are going to say to themselves, but I don't know how to show that he's wrong. Exactly. Because the statistics, and, and yeah. perhaps we can end where we should have possibly began with, if you just look at the Hebrew culture, their success in business. It's inarguable the statistical significance of their level of achievement. In, in the United States, what, three, five percent maybe Jewish population? 
actually 1.6 now. 1.6%. Yeah, you get any list that you want to get, top business owners in your city or Fortune 500 CEOs or the 100 richest people in the United States or you know any – go out and find any of these reports and you will be shocked. 20, 30, 40% of them are Jewish. Or oh, some kind of have some wildly, kind of Jewish influence. Wildly overrepresented. Yeah, Something is going on there, and I would challenge yeah. the listener to try to figure out what it is. And once you've eliminated all of the possible silly and racist explanations, you're left with only one possible conclusion. And you start off your book, uh, "Thou Shall Prosper," with this concept, explaining it in great detail. Yeah, but exactly. you know, there's only one possible conclusion. Yeah, exactly. they are using the guidebook to how the world really works in a way that the rest of us just aren't. And it comes it, – it's that easy. And there's no reason why everyone shouldn't, and the best proof of that is Jim Cochran, who's been doing it for years with great success. Yes, sir. I mean I credit. And uh, you know, I, I had an occasion where a customer of ours – and I think we'll end on this story. But I had an occasion where a customer of mine came to me and he said, wow, you've, you've done some cool stuff. I, I so much appreciate you. I would like to make a donation, a generous donation to any charity. And this is a chance for you to plug your charity here in just a moment, Rabbi Lappin. But, and I said, you know what? I'm going to match it, and let's – Give it to Rabbi Lappin's charity cause. And I told you at the time yes, I remember. Yes. that that was just a tiny portion of the financial benefit that I've received from having studied the truths. They've been right under my nose. I mean, I've been in Sunday school since I was 10. This is the same stuff I've been studying and reading. I've had the disadvantage of only reading the English version, but these biblical lessons are right there for any of us. But you pulled those out for me, and you've put millions of dollars into not only my pocket, sir, but I, I envision my children and grandchildren benefiting from these things. So to make a small donation to your charity, easy, easy decision for me to make. So yeah, thank you yeah. for that. Uh, but it's, it's the alliance of... Christian and Jewish. American Alliance of Jews and Christians. That's it. Yes, sir. American Alliance of Jews and Christians. That's quite right. Yeah. What a beautiful, just the name itself. Beautiful concept. But, well, this has been time well spent. You can be my guest on this show anytime at at the drop of a hat. If you just say, you know what? I think I'm going to make an appearance on Jim's podcast. You are welcome. You just let me know anytime, sir, because I think, I hope the listener enjoyed this a fraction as much as I did today. And if they did, it's going to be a huge hit, uh, and they're going to be begging for more. Um, so get over to silentgym.com. Look in the show notes. We'll have links to everything we talked about today, and you can go check out Rabbi Lappin's resources, this generous 20%, the discount code Cockrum, which is my last name. Just drop that in while you're purchased. You'll save yourself 20%. Thank you so much for that. And I think I think we'll cut it off here. I can't yep. wait to have you back sometime. And listener, thank you. Can't wait to have you back again soon. I love doing this. I hope it shows up as you're listening to us talk that I just, I was born for this. I'm here to serve you, to help your business grow. Be blessed. God bless you. We'll talk to you again next time. Thanks for listening. Well, I hope you loved that episode as much as I did. I wanted to add some final comments. Now that I've had a few hours to process my time spent today with Mr. Lappin, And just emphasize a couple things. First, I hope something you picked up today from this is how seriously I take this entire topic. When I say that I've spent the first half of my life trying to find myself and the second half of my life losing myself in my calling, I mean that very seriously. I am a student 
of what it takes to succeed in life and business, and I believe the Bible offers the answers to all the big questions. And let me just emphasize this. Perhaps you're someone who has discounted the Bible or it's kind of irrelevant. It's just an old book to you. That's fine. We can still be very, very good friends. I know Rabbi Lappin and I spent some good time today digging into some concepts from the Bible, but please maintain an open enough mind that you will let those thoughts in regardless of your worldview. Because at the end of the day, everything that we talked about can be backed up and is virtually inarguable if you will take an honest look at the facts and the statistics behind all of the topics we discussed today. And I would love nothing more than for thoughtful discussion and debate on those issues. But time and time again, I see thoughtful people coming to the same conclusions that Rabbi Lappin and I came to today on several of these topics. But know this, I take this stuff very seriously, and I pointed this out in the first few episodes of this podcast. There's only one purpose behind this podcast, and yes, today I had a blast hanging out with one of my favorite people, and I hope you enjoyed it too, but I still had the same core mission in mind, and that's the mission I pointed out early on in this podcast, which is this, your success. You, listening to this right now, you succeeding is the reason that I do this podcast. This iTunes broadcast is completely free. No one's paying me to do this. Now, at some point, I might win your attention, and you might buy some products for me or courses, and I understand you know that, I know that, but there's many others who will never pay me a dime, and I want nothing less than your success regardless of what you send me, because I believe our culture is at risk and we need more entrepreneurs and business builders virtuously engaged in building profitable businesses that serve their fellow man. We need business builders like you. So hopefully you found encouragement today and regardless of your worldview, I'm in your corner. So Hope you love this episode. Please send us your feedback and your comments. We would love to hear from you. If you haven't subscribed on iTunes yet, that would be doing us a huge favor, both for Daniel Lappin and for myself. Jump over, subscribe to our shows, keep up to date with what's going on. And if you haven't subscribed to Lappin's show yet and you enjoyed today just a little bit, you are going to absolutely love his podcast. Now, don't make it your favorite. Make it your second favorite because Silent Sales Machine Radio is your favorite, right? Hey, I love doing this. Thanks for hanging out with us a little bit today. Can't wait to do this again, and I'll talk to you real soon.